بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئة عملنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسل الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا داعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا فعما بعد فقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون وقال يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطيع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوضا عظيما وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم إن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور مهدثاتها وكل مهدثة بدع وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار يا عباد الله أوصيكم ونفسي اتقوا الله حق تقاته My dear brothers and sisters and elders The topic of my khutbah today is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The best example for all people of all times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرَةِ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Which means a good example, the best example for you is the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the life of the Rasul of Allah. For anyone who believes and looks forward to meet Allah and looks forward to the Day of Judgment and who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a great deal in his life. They say that reading biographies is perhaps the best way to learn real life lessons. That is because a biography is a record of practice of what worked and what didn't work. The life of Muhammad sallallahu is perhaps one of the most well-documented lives in human history. Having said that, one may ask why his life and all the detail are important at all. I am not speaking from the perspective of a Muslim for whom to study the life of Muhammad and to live his life, his own life, in accordance with the life of Rasulullah is a religious requirement. I am asking this from the perspective of a neutral reader, Muslim or not, who is looking for biographies to read. So why should they read the biography, the Sirah and Nabawiyah, the biography of Rasulullah The answer lies 
in the facts related to his life which are public knowledge. Here was someone who in a period of 23 years took his people from being the weakest, most despised and oppressed in their community to being the leaders and role models in the same community. And he did all of that without lies, without cheating, without corruption, without violence and without bloodshed. My question is, would you like to know how to do it? Would you like to know how to bring about not incremental change, but transformational change in society? And if the answer is yes, and I hope it is, then study the life of Muhammad sallallahu In the words of the great philosopher J. Krishnamurti, he said, it is no measure of health. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. He said it is no measure of health. It is not a measure of health to be profoundly adjusted to a, to be adjusted to a profoundly sick society. I don't think there is anyone today, including the 1% who seem to have it all, who will disagree that we, as a global society, are very sick. Humanity is sick. The earth is sick. We are all very, very sick. And this is no longer an academic issue for people to write scholarly papers about. <clears throat> it is something that we, the people of the world, need to address. Recognizing it as the dire emergency it is. <clears throat> and if you don't, the clock is ticking backwards for us and fast. And the time is very close when we would have made our own position as the inhabitants of this earth, not its owners like we, like, like we seem to believe, as inhabitants. The time is fast approaching when we will make our own position as inhabitants of this earth completely untenable. We need action and we need it now. Call it a strange coincidence if you like, but 7th century Makkah was a microcosm of our global, capitalist, pluralist, multicultural, multiracial society. Let me describe the Makkah that Muhammad was born into and grew up and lived in until the age of 50. And that's a long time for someone to spend in one town. But that is what Muhammad did. Makkah was a town with a single claim to fame and that was the Kaaba. The house of Allah built by Ibrahim as a place of pilgrimage from time immemorial. Access to the Kaaba was open to anyone who wanted to come. The environs, the surrounding of the Kaaba was declared a sanctuary where all killing and hunting and fighting were banned. And that was the main reason why Makkah developed as a town because it was safe haven for everyone from any of the 
many frequently warring tribes to come and to make pilgrimage. Another similarity that 7th century Makkah had with our modern society is that it was a world of business. Businessmen were its leaders. They didn't have a king, they didn't have a chief. Businessmen were the leaders. And they ran the town. Acquisition of wealth was the primary concern. Makkan society was materialistic based on a free market economy. Markets were not regulated by any central authority. Traders charged the best price that they could make. They hoarded in times of scarcity and sold at great profit at other times. And they brought goods from as far afield as Yemen and Shah, Syria and Yemen, to sell in Makkah. Makkah being a sort of aggregator of people from all of Arabia was a great seller's market where high prices could be commanded as goods sold in Makkah was simply not available in any other part of Arabia. And that is how Makkan traders became its nobility and became fabulously wealth, wealthy. And they created a sort of oligarchy. You can draw similarities with our capitalist society today and see how close 5th century or 7th century Arabia was to most of our 20th century or 21st century world. Makkah was also a multicultural and pluralistic place, as all centers of trade tend to be. And that is because if you want to promote trade, you must make it easy and safe for people from multiple origins and belief systems and cultures to coexist peacefully. All that is good for business. And so it was. In Makkah, the local people mostly worshipped idols, but Jews and Christians and Magians all lived in Makkah, each practicing his or her own religion without any interference from anyone else. Very much like what happens in most Western countries, including in this country. And for the same reason, it's good for business. The reason I've spent so much time on drawing a picture of Makkan society of the 7th century, showing its similarities to our 21st century world, is because I want to hypothesize that because Muhammad despite being a person with almost no resources, support or political power, could bring about a complete transformation of his society, then we have reason to hope that the methods he used can work today for us as well. To quote Alphonse de Lamartine in his book, History of Turkey, he said, and listen to his words, three things. If greatness of purpose, smallness of means, and astonishing results. If greatness of purpose, smallness of means, and astonishing results are the three criteria of human genius, who would dare compare any great man in history with Muhammad This was written by a man who was a Christian and who was a vocal critic of Islam and Muslims and the Ottoman Empire. Muhammad did not focus on bringing about any materialistic changes in the lives of people. The changes he brought about were ideological, ethical and moral 
but they change not only the lives of the people but also change the structure the laws the freedom and the behavior of arab society muhammad sallallahu alaihi brought about changes in the way people thought in their ideals and benchmarks which led to a change in what they considered important which in turn led to a change in their behavior which brought about a change in society as they say it all begins at the top here in the mind once we change our attitude behavior changes which leads and in this case it led to perceptible results in that society and it will lead to perceptible results in our society and around us all change must and can only begin internally within us with how we view the world what we want from it what we find satisfaction in and what we are prepared to do and not to do to get that satisfaction and success we need to define the meaning of a good life and to be clear about what investment we are prepared to make to get that good life i mentioned this here because in our race today to garner and get all resources for ourselves without a thought about others we have created a society that is crying out in pain and grief it is inconceivable to imagine that the resources of the world can possibly be concentrated in the hands of so few but as they say fact is stranger than fiction i can imagine being laughed out of this place if i or any author dared to suggest that eight people eight men eight white men would own cumulatively more resources than 50% of the world's population and at today's count that is around 4 billion eight men own more than 8 billion other people if i told you that this is possible you would laugh me out of the place but guess what that is fact today eight people can fit into a minivan one minivan one minivan of people own more wealth than 50% of the world's population اقول قولي هذا استغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه انه هو الغفور الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا كما امر ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله وقال تعالى ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد 
So what was the change that Rasulullah brought about in society? In my view, there are three major principles that he promoted. Number one, accountability to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whom nothing is hidden. Number two, truthfulness. And number three, spreading goodness all around. Now this was and is the essence of the religion that he brought, which is our religion, Islam. And that is why he said the best of you is the one who is the most beneficial to all people. So let us look at these three principles very briefly. First one, accountability to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whom nothing is hidden. Now what makes a mistake a crime? A mistake becomes a crime when the same action is done knowingly and deliberately. Same thing. Action hasn't changed but has become a crime and crimes are punishable. Right? May Allah protect you. Many of you drive too fast, so don't, don't drive fast. But if you are driving fast and you knock somebody, that's called an accident or a crime? Accident. You are still culpable, maybe you get fined and so on. We see where was that person, was it their fault, not their fault, were they across the, on, the, on, the, on the zebra crossing and so on and so on. But supposing you are driving, and you see your enemy, you see the guy you don't like, who is crossing the road. So what do you do? You floor the accelerator and you nail him. Same action. You knocked, a, you knocked a pedestrian. You killed a pedestrian. Same action. Now if that is proved, and it is proved that you did that deliberately, now what? Is it an, is it a, is it an accident? No, it's murder. It's first degree murder. Your car was the tool. Same action done deliberately becomes a crime. People don't commit sins and oppress others and commit violence or evil because they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They do them because they think they can get away with that. And Rasulullah taught us that that is a fallacy. Because no matter what we think, no matter who finds out, no matter how we hide anything, Every single action of ours and every single speech of ours and every single thought of ours and every single intention of ours is known by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whom nothing is hidden and one day there is an accounting for that. We are living in a world today where there are a lot of people in high places who seem to be doing anything they want, spreading all kinds of misery and all kinds of suffering around them and they seem to be getting away with that. Many of you are sitting here in this masjid in the United States not because you decided to come here and applied for a visa but you had to come here because of what was happening in your country. And the people who did that <coughs> seem to be fine. Nothing is happening to them. But believe me, Rasulullah taught us and we know and this is our religion. There is no escape. There is no escape. There is a day of accounting. And whether you get caught in this world or you don't get caught, it makes no difference. Allah knows. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you and be accountable. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to 
cover us with his mercy and forgiveness and to save us from ourselves the one of the finest and and sort of greatest uh, evidences of that if anyone needs evidence is what rasulullah sallam said to his own favorite daughter his daughter fatima to zahra radhiyallahu anha he said to her ya fatima do not think that you will be favored by allah because you are the daughter of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said you will stand before allah on the basis of your own actions so he said that to his own daughter what do you think is my position your position accountability to allah before whom and from whom nothing is hidden number 2 truthfulness rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was known among his people even before he started right from the beginning even before he started preaching islam as what was his title as-sadiqul amin the truthful and the trustworthy and that is what he taught us to be truthful in every aspect of his life somebody asked him is it possible that a muslim may be a coward he said yes they said is it possible that a muslim might commit commit adultery he said yes so they asked him what is it that a muslim cannot do cannot possibly do he said a muslim cannot tell a lie a muslim cannot tell a lie i mentioned this many times before there was a time in south africa in apartheid south africa when the rule of the whites the afrikaners were in the courts you appear to give witness everyone had to swear to speak the truth and nothing but the truth with their hands on their holy book usually it was the bible except muslims they did not ask muslims or did not compel muslims to swear on the quran i was in south africa one of the judges told me this i said why why not he said because they said muslims don't lie so no need to speak no need to swear on anything Muslims speak the truth my brothers and sisters rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us that virtue and vice are absolute values there are there are no grades of virtue and vice they are not relative to your personal worth or your religion or your race or anything else right and wrong do not depend on who does them and that is why truthfulness is the basis of all goodness he sallallahu alaihi wasallam held himself to this value of truthfulness to such an extent that when he was migrating from madina to makkah in the night he still had valuables that his enemies had entrusted to him and he gave them to his cousin sayyidina ali bin abi talib radhiyallahu anhu to keep and hand over to their owners what can you say about the truthfulness of someone who is trusted by his own enemies finally third point the spreading of goodness all around muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to his people the best of you is the one who is best to his neighbor he did not say muslim neighbor any neighbor and we know that in huquq al ibad in the rights of citizenship there is no differentiation between muslim and non muslim justice to one is justice to all they asked him who is the neighbor and who am i responsible for and rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said 70 people on either side of your house hmm 
another another time somebody asked him how do i know if i'm a good man he said ask your neighbor if your neighbor says you are good you are good and then he said ask your wife if your wife says you are good you are good the issue of rights of women i won't list all the rights we know them the question to ask ourselves is do we do them i keep on saying this all the time the only thing which works is action not knowing if you are starving with hunger and you are a star michelin chef and you know all the most beautiful recipes in the world but you are in a place where you are starving do you think all that knowledge of cooking will help you do you think all those recipes are going to put food in your belly at that point in time somebody gives you one roti one piece of bread one sandwich that one sandwich is worth more than all the knowledge you have because that will keep you alive that knowledge will not you will die starving as a michelin chef one numbers dead michelin chef big deal the same thing applies i can be a hafiz of the quran i can be a mufti azam of this country or that country if i am not practicing my religion this quran and this knowledge will become a hujja will become a proof and evidence against me we ask allah to protect us from ourselves my brothers and sisters the reality today is that despite the fact that rasulullah sallam gave women their rights in the 7th century and as i said i won't list them you know them and in the text of this lecture i will list them to this day those rights are denied to women in even in the so called advanced countries one of the simplest ones is parity in pay men and women getting the same pay for the same job even here it doesn't exist that justice in conclusion i would like to reiterate and emphasize that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam left for us all muslims or not alike a way of life a code of conduct and behavior that is as applicable today as it was in his time it is my contention that if people followed his way then we would be able to cure the sickness of selfishness and cruelty and indifference that we are plagued with and create a society that is based on compassion mutual responsibility and accountability to allah from whom nothing is hidden now how's that for a new world order ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu to be pleased with you and never to be displeased ربنا اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الابرار ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اننا كنا من الظالمين رب اغفر وارحم وانت خير الراحمين امين يا رب العالمين يا عباد الله رحمكم الله ان الله يامر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم عدوا يستجيب لكم فلذكر الله اكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون اقيموا الصلاه